You know, we all want to go out there and chase that new customer, get those new leads. But the truth of the matter is, for most businesses, some existing assets, existing traffic, existing customers, existing email lists, that's where the money is. In this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, we speak with Louis Gadima to talk about his approach called Bullseye Marketing. Check it out. Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by CloudPhone. You can get big-time, modern, virtual phone functionality at a fraction of the cost. In fact, keep listening. I'm going to tell you how to get 50% off. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance and my guest today is Louis Gadima. He is the president and founder of Revenue and Associates and the creator of the Bullseye Marketing Framework. And we're going to talk about a book built on that called Bullseye Marketing, How to Grow Your Business Faster. So, Louis, thanks for joining me. Welcome back, I should say. Hey, John. It's great to be back. Good talking with you again. So one of the things that uh, I'm going to put out as a premise of the book is that, you know, we're all getting excited about big data and AI and voice search and uh, social media. Uh, But Many businesses that I work with, and you certainly contend this in your book, um, actually need to start way before that. That that stuff is actually not important to, the, or could be important to them, but it's probably not a priority, is it? Yeah. So um, that's real graduate level stuff, and and you know most businesses aren't taking care of the 101 and 102 kinds of things. Uh, so I, I actually did a, a study on this a few years ago, and I looked at 351. B2B companies with 50 to 1,000 employees. And uh, there was a huge difference between the software companies and the non-software companies. The software companies were, by and large, great marketers. And the non-software companies, uh, you know, and these are not trivially sized companies. These are, you know, sizable companies. Um, They were doing, uh, in manufacturing or medical devices or professional services, many other fields, doing almost no marketing. And it was a shock to me because I had kind of been working in this tech marketing world and uh, I assumed everybody knew about these tools. And and yet uh, outside of the software industry, almost no one was using them. And then I came back to this just this year and I looked at the same 351 companies. And for those non-software companies, there was very little progression. And I think that a big reason for that is that marketing has become so complex. Yeah. So, so, so what does not marketing mean? I mean, they have a website. They probably have a sales team. I mean, is that kind of where it ends? Yeah, pretty much, you know, and, and trade shows and brochures. So what I did was I, I had, when I've done business development, I had developed this uh, digital marketing scorecard, essentially. And I was doing business development. Uh, I had my own agency for a dozen years, and then I did business development for a couple other agencies after I sold my agency 10 years ago. And uh, so I had developed a way to look at what were companies, what were prospects doing uh, before we talked so I could have a more intelligent conversation with them. So you can tell without um, ever talking to someone, you know, do they have a marketing automation program? Uh are they doing search engine advertising? Are they doing anything on social media? Uh, this was more important four years ago than now, but did they have a mobile-friendly website? Uh, and, and so there were these nine 
uh, programs that I looked at and thought of it as kind of a, a digital marketing scorecard or maturity model. And for the software companies, the median was that they were using seven of the nine programs. And for the non-software companies, the median was that they were using two of the nine. And you got one point just for having Google Analytics on your website. So effectively, they what, were another not, point if somebody actually knew the login, would that be I, for, I, I for Google Analytics? Uh, or tell, <laughs> I couldn't tell if anyone ever, ever looked at it, but you know, if they scored a two, I kind of assume they probably didn't. Yeah. Uh, and so then I also looked at those software companies and found that this actually correlated very well to revenue growth and the companies that uh, were using eight or nine programs we're growing about five times faster than the companies that were using zero to three programs. Uh, so it was a, a real affirmation both of, well, it was a shock to see how different it was between software and non-software companies, but it was a real affirmation that marketing does work and it does drive revenue growth when it's done well. Uh, does this score, scorecard still exist? I'd love to see it, if it does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll send you a copy of the report. I haven't put out the update yet. I'm going to put that out shortly. I can send, send you that 2014 report, uh, and you can see it. So one of the things that you talk about, um, and I completely agree, um, is there are so many people out there that they have customers, um, and but but all of their focus is on how do we get new customers and a lot of what you talk about in this book is to break down hey let's start with exploiting what we have already <laughs> our existing website customers email list um, how would somebody go about I mean it seems so obvious <laughs> you know but why why are people not doing it and if they aren't doing it and they're listening today you know what's the way to unpack that. Yeah, so that was, you know, as I worked with companies, I, I kind of realized, as you have, that um, they were kind of jumping ahead and they, they weren't taking care of the basics first. And and they were like, oh, we have to do social media or we have to do advertising or we have to create a lot of content. And they didn't take care of what I call the marketing assets. They didn't take advantage of the marketing assets they already owned. That's the center of the bullseye. And the the center of the center is the customer. You know, first of all, is just talking to customers. Uh, and a lot of what I say here will be, to some people will be like, well, of course. Uh, but as I was saying, to most, uh, much of the business world, this is not being done today. So whenever I work with a company where uh, I'm doing consulting and I interview their customers, um, the CEO or the owner always is like, oh, no, we know what our customers want. We know what they think, you know. And yet when I come back with the results of these interviews, they're invariably shocked. And uh, they find out all sorts of things about what their customers want or need or think about them, think of their competition, what's important. You know, secondly, taking that information to create a great customer experience and, you know, Forrester does an annual survey of, of hundreds, uh, of tens of thousands of consumers asking them about their customer experience of hundreds of, of major brands. And that actually has gone down for the last two years. So customer experience, again, is not something we should take for granted because many companies are not doing it well. And uh, the ones that do do it well, you know, really profit by it. And, and then the third thing about the customer is to focus more on customer retention and growth 
and not so much on new customer acquisition, not that that's not important also, but companies overemphasize it. And uh, maybe it's just, you know, a kind of holdover from when they were just starting out and they had to really, really, really work on getting those new customers. Uh, But you get to a certain size and Salesforce knew this from the beginning. You know, they were focused on customer success and retention and growth very early on. And it's it's important for all companies because it's so much more expensive to acquire a new customer than it is to retain and grow an existing customer. Well, not just more expensive. I mean, I think it's a lost opportunity a lot of times, too. That, that customer that already trusts you, uh, that has already given you money, it, it's a lot easier to ask them for 10 times you know, uh, the money that they've been giving you for, for a, you know, a bigger service, bigger product, bigger offering than it will ever be to go out and, and try to sell that to the world. And I, and I think that's a, a thing that a lot of people miss is that there's so much more opportunity in their existing customers. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that, you know, one of the things about those customer interviews is they're not sales calls, but I would say one out of five times when I conduct them, customers will say, hey, by the way, we need this. Can the company do that for us? Uh, and uh, so they they actually uh, generate a lot of uh, new business just from talking and listening. An existing asset that I see a lot of people um, missing as well is that they're getting leads, they're getting traffic, but it's just not turning into business. Um, a lot of times when I go to work with a company, uh, one of the first places I look at is their sales process or, you know, what happens when the phone rings. I mean, it may just be the way the phone's answered even uh, because uh, you turn the dial up on that a percentage or two and, and, you know, that can have huge growth impact. Oh, absolutely. I, I actually had a client who, you know, they had like terrible sales and marketing uh, collaboration and, and the head of marketing said that it could take t- two weeks for sales to respond to uh, an actual inquiry, not just someone downloading a white paper, but someone contacting the company and saying, hey, we, we want to talk about you know, your product, you know, possibly buying it. I mean, two weeks is just criminal. That's a, that, that's a dead lead. So another one that I see is just uh, email lists. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into an organization. They've got 2,000 names of people that have bought products from them and they've never sent them a thing. Yeah, well, you and I are perfectly aligned on on all of these, John. You know, uh, you get you get an honorary member badge. Uh, but yeah, uh, and I've had the same thing. You know, cl- companies who say, you know, we've got nine thousand emails, twenty thousand emails, you know, more than that, and and you say, how often do you email them? And uh, they say, oh, at the holidays. Uh, and yet, email marketing, you look at almost any survey of marketers about their most effective channels, email marketing is always number one or number two. And uh, McKinsey actually said that it's 40 times more effective than social media. And I believe it. In terms of certain goals, no question. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so that's another one of those marketing assets people aren't taking advantage of. Their websites, because again, in my uh, survey, I found that a you know, about three quarters of these uh, B2B companies had no calls to action, no conversion devices on their website. And a lot of them had pretty poor messaging too, but uh, that's a little more subjective, but just, you know, 99% of the people would come and go 
and uh, the company would have no idea who they were or what they wanted or if there was any opportunity there at all. Yeah, I know. I've gone to a website ready to buy. So it wasn't just like getting information. I, I wanted their phone number. I wanted to call them and buy something, and I couldn't find their phone number. on the. Way. I mean, it was partly because it wasn't a mobile-friendly design, I think, and so they made me work so hard I finally gave up. I mean, imagine how much that's costing people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So these are these, these center of the bullseye opportunities that, uh, first of all, they cost almost nothing to do. You know, companies already have these uh, email lists. They have customer relations. They have sales and marketing people and, and some of these other uh, opportunities there because there's about six or seven of them. Um, and it is really fast. It's really inexpensive. It's low risk. Uh, and they start to see results really quickly, and uh, that can really start to build the uh, the confidence and the buy-in to then go to the second ring and the third ring of, of the bullseye approach. You know, the telephone is still a vital way to do business, but it's changed. The technology has changed, and CloudPhone is the answer. It's perfect for small business. It comes with local numbers, toll-free vanity numbers like 1-800-DUCT-TAPE, you can send and receive text messages on your business line. Works with any of the phones that you already own. And you can get a ton of other business features like call recording and conference calling and voicemail transcription. And because you're one of my listeners, I'm going to get you a 50% off the small business plan forever deal. Just go to cloudphone.com slash duct tape. You know, I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit here because there's some other uh, channels or opportunities I want to cover. But... I find that one of the, to me, one of the greatest reasons is because there, there's a lack of data. I mean, there's no analytics. There's no, they don't know what's making the phone ring. And so consequently, it's hard to double down on something, you know, if you don't really know what's having the, the, the impact. So uh, you tell me, I, I, you know, I struggle with this all the time because it's like telling people they have to take a math class, you know, just to talk about analytics. I mean, how do we get people using the data to make better decisions? Well, you know, one of the challenges actually for small and mid-sized companies, and I, I have a whole chapter on analytics and data in the book, and I talk about it, you know, constantly in other chapters too, uh, about how can you measure the impact of, of some of these channels. Uh, but one of the, the real um, challenges for small and mid-sized companies is they don't have enough data. It's not really statistically significant, and, and they have to go by um, – anecdote, you know, almost more than, you know, kind of the rigorous data that a, a P&G or a Coca-Cola or a, a Salesforce or someone might be able to do with, you know, huge numbers of customers. Um, but I'm talking, but, I'm talking about simple things. Like if we run an ad, can we set up conversion goals and see if we got, even if the number's two, you're going to see that you got two conversions. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, part of that's culture. When, uh, you know, in a lot of these companies where they just have not been doing much marketing, um, they're just not used to it. They're not used to looking at it. And you do have, uh, you know, there was a Dilbert uh, cartoon I remember several years ago about, uh, you know, now we have more data that we can ignore when we, uh, you know, make our decisions. <laughs> so it is part of culture. It, it does have to be part of what the company uh, – and the management is is willing to use as part of their decision making process and and not all you know you do have especially in owner operated companies 
you know, people who are used to making their own decisions and, and, uh, you know, and that's what they do. Yeah. And you, you stole a little bit of one of my questions. So I'm going to jump right to that too. I mean, I find that marketing is a culture, um, thing. I mean, in a lot of organizations, there's even, there's a resistance. It doesn't work. I hate it. You know, it's, it's sale, you know, it's too salesy. I mean, there's a lot of resistance to what people see as marketing. And I think the best organizations are actually very marketing driven. Yeah. Well, um, I haven't heard that it's too salesy too much, but I, uh, because almost all companies are sales focused, uh, but very few owners or, uh, you know, SMB presidents have a marketing background. Most uh, people who started companies are, are really good at their industry. They had some innovation or they thought they could deliver service better. Uh, and then, you know, they realized over time they, they had a whole company that had all sorts of things they weren't thinking of before, like marketing and HR and finance and, and a lot of things. Uh, but marketing is one where it's greatly misunderstood. It's, it's just not in their DNA. And, and, and many people think of it as just advertising and promotion, and that is uh, very – that's like in the outer ring of, of my bullseye approach. Uh, and there's just so much more to it that um, a lot of people in, in companies just don't understand. Yeah, I think that's a great point because a lot of companies, even they've gotten you know fairly successful, it's because the founder has been good at selling. I think, and and I I think there's so there's no senior you know marketing type of hire even. Yeah, and they they will think of marketing often as an expense and not an investment in growth. Now you um, advocate, and I'm a full supporter of this, but some things that people are kind of turning uh, a little bit of a side eye to these days: print for example, and PR. I think those are still both direct mail, particularly in the print category. Uh, I think those are still fabulous channels for companies uh, that, that are maybe more opportunity there now than ever. Well, uh, you know, they're in the outer ring, so they're not a top priority. You know, you've got those, those existing marketing assets, as I mentioned, in the center of the bullseye. In the second ring, you really focus on trying to uh, identify people who are planning to buy soon and focusing your market uh, marketing around those people who plan to buy soon because most people in your market aren't. You know, unless you're selling something like food or clothes that people buy all the time, uh, you know, most people aren't looking to buy um, and most companies aren't looking to buy a lot of things. So you really need to focus uh, much more and use intent data and things like search advertising to get in front of the people who are researching and intend to buy soon. And then in the outer ring, you have these long-term uh, branding and awareness programs, and, and print certainly falls into there, and direct mail can. You know, I think the wrap on print is that it may be a little expensive for uh, the amount of exposure you get. And so you really and, – and it's not measurable in the way that digital is. Yeah, you better have your conversion part down if you're going to spend hard dollars on you know driving people to your website or something, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, 
So I'm sure you get this a lot. I mean, I'm fully on board with this idea of existing assets, but what if you're a startup? I mean, what's a startup to do? Yeah, so um, obviously a startup doesn't have the existing assets, but a lot of the approaches uh, that I talk about in the book are are very applicable to startups as well. And and I mentor startups at MIT. I've worked with startups uh, many times. Um, so the idea of understanding your customer, creating a superior customer experience, having a website that has clear messaging and, and great calls to action, um, using remarketing, those are all things that are really valuable for startups. And something I talk about in, in the book is account-based marketing or you know sometimes it's called target account marketing, key account marketing. But that kind of direct sales approach being supported by marketing to help them with the research, to help them create the custom content uh, and so forth, that's all that's often the way that startups have to start. You know, they just have to get out there and pound on doors and uh, make some sales. And marketing definitely has a role in in helping them do that. So and those things that are in the outer ring. You know, things like content or inbound marketing that can take two or three years to have an impact. Things like social media that also can take a very long time to have any sort of impact um, or print. Those should be delayed. Yeah. Good marketing is good marketing whether you're a startup or an existing business, though, isn't it? Yeah. Well said. Yeah. So, uh, Louis, where can people find more about you and your work and obviously Bullseye Marketing? And, of course, we'll have links in the show notes. Yeah, so Bullseye Marketing is available on Amazon. Uh, you know, if you uh, you know have a Kindle or uh, just in those first the introduction in the first chapter, you get a lot of information about what the approach is all about. Um, the book website is louisgadima.com. My business website is revenueassociates.biz. Uh, so people are are welcome to contact me at louis at revenueassociates.biz. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Louis Gadima. I've got one of those names where I didn't have to be, you know, Louis Gadima 4511 or anything. Uh, so I uh, would love to hear from people and, uh, you know, hear their feedback to the book and, and uh, their reactions and questions. Well, Louis, it was great catching up with you again. Great book. And I appreciate uh, you stopping by the show. And hopefully we'll see you someday out there on the road. All right. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. 